So we're here today with Azad Davis, an author from the New York area, um, who has written a novel, well, two novels that are out right now. This time is the first one. And the second novel is That Night, which come, came out very recently. And she is here today to talk to us about her books and her process. And we're very excited. So, Aza, tell us a little bit about yourself and your love for writing. So, I'm originally from New York, and um, I've been living in New Hampshire for the last uh, five years or so. Um, so, I went from being a, a city girl who barely went on a nature walk or a hike, and that's all I do now. <laughs> um, go on walks and just enjoy um, all, how much you can see the different seasons up here. Um, so, that's kind of my personal transition over the last couple of years um, but something that's remained consistent has been my love for reading and writing I um, fell in love with reading around the time that I started high school um, I was always into art and I was stuck in the library one day and I saw um, a very beautiful book cover and I thought the artwork was so attractive so intriguing that I picked it up it was very whimsical <laughs> a girl with a uh, wands behind her very like um, fairy tale ish um, and so I picked up the book and I read the back and it sounded interesting and I was expected to check out a book that day and so I just did on a whim um, so I definitely chose this book based on its cover <laughs> and um, this book ended up just being so well written that it just uh, transformed the way that I thought about English and literature and storytelling and almost overnight I became a bookworm and it, that sparked my interest to one day become an author. Oh that's fantastic. Do you remember the name of the book? It sounds like a cover to Marion Zimmer Bradley's Myths of Avalon but I, I you know it could very easily you know have been it's definitely in that same vein. Um, this one was called Daughter of the Forest and it was part of a trilogy called the Seven Waters Trilogy, and the author um, has then gone on to write, it's become a saga, like she's continued that family story, and I, I don't even know how many books she has out now. Um, you know, it's well over seven or eight. Oh, that's fantastic. I think, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, books, you know, we can all oftentimes point to a book that drew us in, and and kind of created that foundation of love for literature and reading and eventually you know for many of us writing i don't know too many writers that aren't you know pretty um, avid readers uh, but it sounds like you had a book that spoke to you <laughs> i was um just telling my husband the other night because whenever i have breaks in, in terms of writing projects um i go back and i'll read a favorite um, before I get into new books and so um, I just got finished reading the third book in that trilogy it's the only one I actually own <laughs> and I was just telling him that I need to buy the, the, the original trilogy in hardcover so I can have it my paperback is pretty beat up <laughs> but um, yeah so I just read this 500 page novel in like a few days and I read it like maybe once every two or three years and I was telling him I said 
I'll never be as good of a storyteller as this, you know, this author is. She's so good. There's stories within stories within the story. And even her characters are good storytellers. <laughs> and um, it's really interesting that what I write is very different. Um, it's still fantasy, but I write, like, contemporary fantasy. And this is very, um, this is, like, Irish folklore, um, olden day, you know, mm. kind of uh, fantasy. And the language is just very different and um, and I think sophisticated. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's really amazing how I can admire and, and read those stories, um, even though my style is very unique to me and, and very different. And I'm, I'm actually reading your first novel right now. Uh, and you are a tremendous storyteller. So I just wanted to put that out there. It grabbed me right from the beginning. So your character is interesting, your whole world building. I love the demon hunting. Um, it's just really fun. Thank you, Ken. Mm, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, some of your, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your character. You have, is it um, Nadira Holden? Is that the correct way to say it? Absolutely. Tell us I decided to make her name unique, but not hard to pronounce. <laughs> no, no. I, I just wanted to make sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about Nadira and who she is and, you know, maybe some of the inspirations for this character and uh, the story that you're telling. Yeah. So it was an interesting balance when I created uh, the character. I actually started out with a concept. Um, an idea for a story and then she came a little bit later so my idea was that um, what if I started a story that didn't start exactly at the beginning um, like you know uh, you know this is her childhood and this is how she discovers that she's special and then you know this is her in this new world fighting you know some new war I decided what if it would be interesting to learn about a hero that's already established as a legend, someone that's already honored or revered, and they've already had that big war, they've already made those big sacrifices, and this person thinks that they're done, you know, that they're, they deserve um, a good, peaceful life afterwards. And what if it's that point that the readers are introduced to the character as they're asked to fight again, you know? Um, kind of this idea that like um maybe evil or bad thoughts bad deeds are never truly gone from the world and so i i wanted to try to make that the starting point of a story and the other part was um i am uh, an african-american female and i love 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 reading fantasy and science fiction but i can recognize that um, i don't see as many um, women of color being the main character in those stories and so I thought I had a unique opportunity to kind of create one that was very relatable um, and just could help with representation and just open up the fantasy genre to even more readers and and you know uh, people who might be interested because oh you know she kind of sounds like me or she kind of looks like me. Maybe there's something in this story that is for me as well. So um, I kind of had that idea of like a strong, you know, a color main character and this idea of a hero being asked to fight again. And that was the beginning of writing this time. 
That's fantastic. I think that I think that you're right. I mean, as you were talking, I was reflecting on, you know, representation in fantasy. Um, and I, there are very few characters to point to who are people of color. It's because I think a lot of people think of fantasy, oh, we have to go kind of this European kind of history and draw on that, which you know, doesn't include a lot of diversity. So I think that's fantastic because I think we need a lot more representation of people of color, LGBTQ, anybody who just isn't that, you know, that typical character that we see all the time. Right. So um, I, I, that was one area where I was conscious um, about trying to have a diverse cast. And um, and doing it justice, so really thinking about personalities and each character having their own goals and agendas, and I hope that that ended up coming through pretty well uh, with the story. That uh, if you know this character isn't black just because, or this character isn't you know gay just because, but that's who they are, and it plays into some of their cultural beliefs or how they act um, in the story and in other ways it kind of doesn't matter um, I feel like people can read the story without ever looking at the cover and maybe they won't even realize that you know Nadir is African American or that there's another character that might not be straight or um, you know this, mm -hmm. this or that so I it was an interesting line to kind of make um, to add diversity but at the same time to not create token characters, it, it was uh, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the danger uh, that some writers fall into is they end up drawing so much attention to it that it almost tokenizes the character instead of making them like this relatable, just person that exists who you know just happens to be a person of color, which isn't you know the driving force of who they are. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, it absolutely, as I'm reading her, um, you know, I, I've seen the cover, obviously, so um, it didn't surprise me when you when you make references to her throughout the book. But it's not, again, you could easily pick it up and just go with no cover and, and fall seamlessly into her character. So uh, it's really a, a nice way you've balanced that. That's a sign of a good writer, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, at the very least, all the characters definitely sound American. <laughs> That's my only viewpoint. <laughs> but there are definitely some African American, Asian American characters, um, characters of all different sexual orientations and ages. Um, and that was pretty interesting, too, is trying to, with their speech or with some of their references, kind of show a distinction between the characters that were in their 20s and those that were in their 40s mm -hmm. and 50s. Um, and trying to honor uh, different ages amongst the cast. That's, that's interesting that you also reference, um, you know, that you've got different um, races that are represented, like Asian American. Um, did you feel like you had to do any special research or reach out to some sensitivity readers, or how did you handle that? Yeah, so I think I had the benefit of growing up in the city. Um, so my own hometown um, was pretty diverse, but um, from 18 to about 26, I lived in New York, um, in Manhattan, in the Bronx. 
and it's such a melting pot. Um, I, I went to NYU for several years, mm. and that college is also just such a big mix. Um, and so I really, my whole life, has had friends from all different cultural backgrounds. And, you know, like you say, uh, you might end up liking someone for one thing, like maybe, oh, like we have the same skin color, so we'll sit at the same table, or, oh, um, you know, this person likes this comic book that I like, so we end up talking after class. But, um, you know, it becomes, those friendships become this good mix of, it's all the things you have in common that actually matter. And at the same time, sometimes you can be really attracted to what's different about a friend, like uh, the fact that, you know, I had Asian American friends and they taught me about like hot pot or like these other like really interesting um, foods and like the different times of year that you eat them and for what reasons, like traditions. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I'm like, oh, I'm African American. And in some ways our culture is so broad that it's also sometimes not as distinct mm -hmm. to say like oh this is ours this is ours so i kind of like that about other cultures that are a little bit more distinct um learning about them and, and practicing some of those um traditions with my friends so i had that benefit of being from a big city um and so other than drawing on those experiences i just used um general beta readers so I didn't specifically seek out sensitivity readers as in, um, please look out for this, this, or that, and mm -hmm. let me know if I cross any lines. I just trusted the general beta readers to let me know if they found anything to be offensive or questionable. And um, for the most part, I didn't get any feedback that said that it was. Um, and then my editor was kind of my last line of defense and so she was she would question a word here or there and maybe um like at home um for example in book two i describe a card game called spades and in my family and in the african-american culture like that game is like very popular you know maybe the caribbean culture um and people love it so much and as i discovered um sometimes you develop house rules <laughs> mm. and so as I was writing a scene where they're playing this card game um, that's very prevalent uh, in my culture, uh, I use certain like words and, and just jargon that my editor questioned. She's like, oh, <laughs> what does that phrase mean? What does this mean? And it really shocked me that, um, you know, that it wasn't instantly recognizable for anyone who's played. And I was like, oh, maybe that is something that just my family says it that <laughs> way or just, you know, people in my culture say it this way, but, you know, this game is universal and other people from other cultures might um, describe the exact same action or they might have slightly different rules. And so um, it's been interesting just catching those little bit of things as I go and making sure that I, I have to decide each time I get a critique like that if I want to keep it for authenticity or if I want to change it to make sure that the most, you know, the most amount of readers will be able to read it, understand it, and move on. Mm. You know, like I don't want people to kind of get stuck or thrown off just because I decided to use a word that was um, too obscure or um, just not uh, relatable. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard because I think, <clears throat> to me, as a reader, I have a natural curiosity. So if I encounter something like that, I like to look it up. But I know for some people... It shuts it down. So it's a hard one. It's hard. I mean, you could go either way with that. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer for that. 
Yeah, but again, my editor was a great, um, like, last line of defense if the beta readers didn't catch anything. And I tried to use a good amount. So I would start with maybe 12, and I would have half of them read, like, a second draft, and the other half that volunteered read maybe, like, my third draft. So um, because the story was at a different stage, they were able to catch different things. Um, so I maybe I, you know, I heard enough critiques about this one chapter that I fine-tuned it, and with the second group, I'm like, okay, <laughs> without giving them any warnings, I'm trying to see if maybe if, if I cleaned it up enough that they, you know, didn't notice any um, red flags or something like that. And, um, yeah, again, theater readers uh, have been wonderful. I don't necessarily use sensitivity readers, but I, felt, I feel like if in the future I ever wrote outside of my comfort zone, um, then I probably would. Um, maybe early on just to test certain concepts or language that I'm using. Now, Kim, you had a question about um, about how Azad got her book out there, and you asked that, because I, I thought that was an interesting question when we were chatting earlier. Yeah, so I, I looked on your Facebook author page, and I noticed a post um, fairly recently, I think, where you mentioned about how, I think it was back in October when the first book launched, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you'd had some really great sales without doing a lot of, you know, Facebook buys and advertising. And and so I'm kind of curious how you got the word out. It Was it based on having a really strong, like, street team? How did you kind of build the buzz for the launch? Right. Um, so um, I'm a part of a few different um, re- uh, writer groups um, who share, like, tips and tricks about what works, what doesn't work. And so what I was advised about was that as someone brand new, you know, who's an indie author, um, so I've got no big publishing name behind me, no big budget for marketing, that perhaps um, it might do well for me to wait until book three or four to start advertising when I had created a backlist and kind of established um, at least some sort of reader base um, to then start um, spending money to push my name, to push my books um, in front of more readers. So that was, um, you know, kind of like tough information at first because I'm like, I just wanted all the sales right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes sense to me uh, um, to that when people look at my, let, let's say, Amazon author page, that it would be stronger pull for them to buy one of my books if I had more than just one mm-hmm. or if I had books and each of them had a good amount of reviews like things like that to seem a little bit more established mm-hmm. than to try to sell one book with one review you know and I'm paying all this money for advertising but I just seem so green that readers might pass on me mm. um, so that was why I stayed away from Facebook and Amazon ads um, in the beginning and um, instead what I did was I uh, yep, I established a, a Facebook author page and a website, um, uh, like a one with its own domain name, and I just started to blog um, on my website about the process of me writing my first book, and that created it, like a small natural buzz, like organic interest, organic traffic. Um, at first, you know, mainly from family and friends, and then the word starts to spread. Uh, WordPress uh, is actually pretty good about having um, a reader site. So if you're 
on WordPress and you've got any kind of web page on there, you're also seeing what everyone else on WordPress is doing. And this is something that I'm not sure Wix and like these other um, build your own websites uh, have. And so I was able to connect with uh, book bloggers and, and other authors that have web pages very easily with just a few searches um, and subscribe to their pages. And they were able to subscribe to mine. And so um, I felt like my website was really very useful to begin creating um, a name for myself. Uh, and I'm not someone who journals or does a diary. So blogging was a little <laughs> um, bit of a challenge just because I'm not used to sharing personal details. So I just decided that I was going to keep it about writing, and the only other topic that I felt very passionate about at the time was the fact that I was a new mom. Um, so though I toggled between the two, and so it became some sort of like um, like a new mom, new writer. That was kind of my gimmick or like my uh, tagline. <laughs> and you know that you know I'm growing a baby and I'm creating my first novel at the same time. Now I've got the baby. Now I've got my first book. You know, and just kind of like how I manage the two. Um, and so, um, yeah, so the website helped. And then again, um, Facebook, I love it and I hate it. <laughs> and um, I felt book author page helped so much to drive traffic back to the website, but also just to have quick, short um, conversations with people and to connect to all types of promotional opportunities. So what I would do um, when I had a launch, um, is I would pay for like um, a single day of advertising on a single site. For example, um, let's see, like there's a one that's called Robin Reads. And so this is a website that boasts that they've got all these readers. I mean, uh, they've got all these readers and they've got all these writers. And whatever a writer uh, puts their book for sale, you know, they notify uh, their readers through like a daily um, newsletter. Um, and it's also on their site and on their, you know, Facebook page, Twitter, you know, like all the different sites. And so um, I would be very selective and I would pick just one or two for a launch day or that sometime that week. And that would give me um, an additional boost other than my own efforts to put my new book in front of new readers. Hmm. Interesting. I hadn't huh. heard of Robin Reads before, so I just made a note. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. check that out. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. a new one to me too. So yeah, so I would do like a one-day advertisement with one of these subscription-based, uh, you know, um, companies that connect readers with discounted books, as opposed to doing like a daily ad on Amazon or Facebook or something like that. Um, and so this way, I know exactly how much I'm paying. Um, of course, they can't guarantee a certain amount of sales, but it's very easy to track, um, you know, on the day that you have a promotion, how many sales you're getting. And so I was able to see right away if it felt like it was worth it or not for me to have done it. And so far, I've been happy with all the, the one-day promotions that I've paid for. Oh, that's great. Good to know. And I really, um, you know, the feedback that you got about getting a couple of books out, you had mentioned... Um, I've gotten similar feedback that usually uh, it takes, you know, a good three or four novels for really a lot of writers to start getting traction with their books. I've heard that before. So that sounds like consistent feedback. 
yeah, and with two books out, I'm very excited <laughs> to wow. see what will happen after, after book three. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, there's no guarantees in life. Um, and, but other than um, possibly being more attractive to readers, um, I am actually seeing growth in my writing from one novel to the next. And that is so thrilling for me. And so that's another reason why I'm so excited to see how, you know, what the final product of book three ends up looking like and if my writing is able to mature and improve even more. Um, because it's, uh, it does, but it does so in like unpredictable ways, you know? Um, yeah. Like for somehow between book one and book two, um, my writing, I, I've gotten feedback that, that my writing has improved. But it's not necessarily from like, um, in terms of like grammar or something like that, like, like it's like very technical, but it was the emotional depth that I explored with my character. Mm. And the whole time I was writing it, I was trying to write the same fast paced, action oriented book as I did with book one. I'm like, this is what I like. This is what my readers like. Let's have some more fight scenes. And where I was at the time that I was writing it, I just kept inserting emotion into each scene and really exploring that and I'd be back I'm like no 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 that's not what the outline says <laughs> I'm supposed to write and um and then in the end I'm like but this is what is flowing out of me this is what I'm meant to create at this time so when right before book two came out I was very nervous about if my old readers would still appreciate that this book had a little bit less action and it was more emotion driven um, and so far, um, I don't have as many reviews with book two, but so far the reviews have been positive um, that they like and appreciate the change because it seems so authentic for where the character is in her, in, in her own personal journey at this point in the story. That's so interesting that you say that because I've had a very similar experience when I wrote book two of my series. It's much more about her kind of internal feelings and and more a little bit more introspective and uh, not at all intentional it's just kind of that's the way it has flowed so it's definitely been a, a bit of a different flavor from the first book so that's really interesting it is because I, I had the same thing with my novel my first book was more about survival and my second book was much more about um not so much survival as it was, you know, dealing with grief and, you know, over, you know, dealing with everything that this character was left with. Uh, I, I think that, I think that it's interesting because um, I, I think that that just kind of is a testament to the fact that writing, you are going with a natural flow. You're not trying to force readers into, okay, so now she's just going to do all the same kind of stuff in the, you know, you're, you're letting the character grow, which I think that's important. I think that brings readers to the table. Yeah, and, and it's thrilling to hear from you guys that, you know, that it's not unique, that, that this is something that um, happens and that it's... Um, a natural progression uh, of a story when you're conscious about all that your character has been through in the first book and the fact that this has to affect them somehow emotionally, right? And how does that play out as they face new challenges? So, yeah, I'm happy to hear that I'm, a, I'm in good company. <laughs> yes. Well, I think, I think that it's important for our characters to not be static. They have to grow, and that involves 
emotional growth more often than not. Um, I think that that's that's very relatable for people. So, yeah, I um, I was recently. Oh, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh well, th- this is a, a short tangent, but um, I was recently watching um the Blade trilogy uh that was based on a, a comic book. Um, so the oh, movies yeah. that Wesley Snipes did. Uh, yeah, and so you know, my character is a demon hunter, but I did have a little bit of inspiration from um seeing the first Blade movie in theaters with my family when I was younger. And again, just like some kind of, you know, like he's like an African-American and he's just like badass and like, it's, you know, it's very bloody, very action oriented. And as I'm watching it now that I'm much older, I'm like, he says very few words (laughs) and (laughs) he goes through a lot. And, you know, he's so stoic that you kind of have to, really read his facial expressions to see when he's you know feeling any emotional pain and i was like okay i think i can be better than that with my (laughs) character so i remember yeah like you know like the things that you loved as a kid sometimes like when you see them later you're like i love it but how can i improve upon that how can i make that even better you know when i incorporate that into my own writing (laughs) well and i think that creates depth for your novels too i mean it, film as a medium has such a short amount of time, they tend to sacrifice emotions and character growth for explosions and action. And and with a novel, you can have all of that, but you can also get into, okay, what is the emotional impact on this character for having to just kill this person, you know, that maybe they cared about or, you know... The, dealing with the fact that they were just in danger and that, you know, anyone that goes through that's going to have an emotional reaction if they're a human being. So I, I think that, you know, we have a lot more, um, I don't know, we, ha- we, have, we have the luxury of being able to spill ink in ways that films cannot. That's a great point, Phil, yeah. Now, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because I like to talk to authors about their process of writing. So you've written a couple of novels now, and tell us about, like, you know, you had mentioned you're a new mom. I I have never been a parent. I know, Kim, you have. <laughs> I don't know, I, but I do know that that has got to be hard to find time to write. Are you one of those writers that like to just like close the door and immerse yourself? Do you have to just fit it in where you're, where you can? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a very large family and I'm the second oldest. Um, like I'm, I'm one of five siblings. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> so growing up, to succeed academically, to um, just, you know, to get into as the reading that I love to do um, and as, as much reading as I was doing, like, you just kind of have to learn to, like, zone out and, and just tune out the sounds around you, you know, like, when you can. And so I can kind of sleep with any noise around me and I can read and study with a lot going on around me, even the TV on and all that stuff. But interestingly enough, when it comes to writing, I, I do need the silence and it's very hard for me to handle interruptions because I, I absolutely get into the mindset of my character. Um, and I 
feel what she's feeling. I might be giggling because she, you know, she heard something funny. There might be water in my eyes because it's a really intense scene for my character. I have to go there. <laughs> so, um, because, you know, of my husband and my child, um, I want to be very present when I'm around them. And then I want to have the times I'm writing to feel sacred. I just separate the two. And I only write when my daughter's asleep or if my husband's able to watch her on a weekend afternoon, I might go to a cafe or something and write there. Hmm. Now, are you, um, are you, they, they, there's this, um, thing, I think I heard it first from George R. R. Martin, uh, in, in an interview he had done where there are architects and there are miners. The architects are people who have everything carefully laid out, outlined to the, you know, by pair, by um, chapter. And then the miners are more like very loose. You know, I have general ideas. And as I write, I just go through a natural progression. Where do you think you fall on that spectrum and what works for you? Um, that's an excellent question. And I, I don't know if, um, if the answer has changed from book, book one to book two, you know, like plotter or cancer uh, or something. Um, so, I love to write an outline. Uh, you know, first I write a little summary based on a dream I had or just the ideas that I've been developing. And it's usually like a one paragraph and it turns into one page. And then from there, I write out an outline. And I just use a simple three-act structure uh, in the beginning. And I write a little blurb for each chapter, assuming that maybe there'll be like 25 chapters or something. And I try to work out the plot and try to figure out what makes what's exciting and what makes sense, um, you know, from beginning to end. And so the outline grows uh, over time. Maybe it'll be like a few days or like up to a week. And I do all that before I start writing any actual pages of the story. So I'm definitely a plotter. I need to know <laughs> yeah. the beginning and the middle. And the funny thing, though, is that the ending, um, so, like, if you see my outlines, the beginning and the middle are so detailed, there's so much going on, and then as it gets to Act 3, you know, like, the climax, like, it's, like, one sentence, you know, the last couple of chapters, like, that I have as an outline, it's, like, two sentences, like, it's very um, nondescript, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. kind of vague, and I, I, so I allow for the climax and the resolution, like, the very end, for that to, I, I give so much room for that to change based on how the story develops as I write it, because I'm flexible enough to know that as I'm writing it, um, I, I might change a small detail, but it might bear me off from the outline a bit. And, and in my mind, that's okay. Yeah, no, I think there has to be some room for flexibility because I think certainly, I think our story evolves as we write it and we come up with new ideas or little details we want to add. I think it. I think it's interesting to talk about process because I think they're very, there's a lot of diversity in approaches and I certainly know how I wrote my second novel was nothing like how I wrote my first one when I had no idea what I was doing. So which one are you? Are you um, the architect or the miner? I I lean closer to the miner. I do a little architect work when I am stuck or uncertain about how to work through something. So I, I, mm -hmm. I 
so I, I would say I'm pretty close to the middle. I, I, what I do is I take index cards for each chapter, and I make little bullet points of, like, okay, in this chapter I want to accomplish this these things, such as, you know, little tidbits of information maybe that I want to make sure is clear, or, you know, if there's some sort of agenda, you know, I always like to have chapters have a purpose, otherwise why are they there? So I always want to make sure that I understand what my focus is in each chapter, but I don't do really super detailed. Like I said, it's usually, you know, this is chapter 12 with like four or five bullets of points of things that I want to accomplish in that chapter. So that's kind of how I do it now, uh, but I developed that kind of as I wrote. Like I said, the first one was just a disaster. (laughs) 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 That required a lot of editing. (laughs) I do the same thing, but I do it in uh, Scrivener. And so I use the virtual index cards. Um, I start like you do with kind of a paragraph that kind of works its way into a page of kind of a little story summary. And then once I've got that, then I, that's enough information to, for me to then go to the virtual cards and kind of start building the structure. And on the cards, I put notes of like maybe where I want a red herring to appear or, you know, just some things I don't want to lose track of. But the cards are very, the electronic cards are very flexible. So as the story evolves, I can go in and kind of move things from card to card, shuffle things around, um, add, take away. So I've been using Scrivener more. um, I used it more on book two, and now I'm um, just starting book three. And I'm finding it to be a pretty useful tool. Book one, I did it in Google Docs, and I didn't have that kind of flexibility. You're much more techie than I am. I, <laughs> I like my good old-fashioned index cards. <laughs> I'm, I'm one step away from being a technophobe. <laughs> well, I like to think it'll make me a better writer. No, <laughs> I doubt it does, but I like to think that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know that there are still some writers who um, prefer to write their first draft by hand, you know, and, and then write it up in a document later and and that becomes their second draft where they start to do a little bit of editing so you're right it's so interesting how each writer has their own process and certain ways help the words flow better for certain writers i think that i think that's why it's hard sometimes to be like you know oh this is how you write a novel because i think all of our process that we we create for ourselves that's very personalized so it's hard to say oh you know go buy some index cards and do this because it might work for somebody but I think we all do have a different process and that first book or two I think is really where we start developing what that is for me book two is where I really developed a process and book three is where I you know, was able to implement that successfully and have used it since. But, um, yeah, it's hard. You know, I know they have seminars and workshops about, oh, this is how you write a book. And I think that's great. I mean, I, I don't want to put that down. But all we can really learn is how other people do it and kind of take what works for us and leave everything else at the table. Exactly. Oh, yeah, a lot of um, trial and error and just being what you take to exactly as you said yeah I find it interesting so, um, I, 
Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, um, I have an interesting um, idea I just wanted to mention to you guys, since both of you have written um, at least two books. So um, a challenge that came up with book two that I did not even realize was going to be so difficult was keeping every tidbit of information from book one in my mind as I was writing book two and making sure that there was a good flow and um, consistency with the characters, with how they spoke, and just where everyone was in their lives. And I, after I wrote book one, um, I went back and I wrote uh, just notes for myself like things that I wanted to make sure I mentioned in book two, things that I wanted to explore more fully, things that maybe I wanted to abandon. Um, and even with this whole page of notes, <laughs> and, you know, I, and you know, of course you read your own book a hundred times throughout the whole drafting and editing process, um, so you know it so well. And still, as I was writing book two, I was like, wait a minute, what did I call this? What's the name of the street? <laughs> yes. What's the name? You know, like... I, I, Yes. Who's the person in love with again? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it was uh, a, a new challenge that was, uh, I don't even know how I'm going to manage when it comes to book three. <laughs> you know, I I had to come up with a way to deal with that myself because I, I'm about eight novels into the same series. Now, of course, I only have one oh. out so far. But, you know, as mm -hmm. your series gets longer, those kinds of continuity things are so incredibly important because readers will pick up on oh you said in book one she had green eyes now she has brown eyes what are you doing you know th or they'll either read something into it or they'll be disappointed and um what i found and it requires some work but it has been very helpful for me is i've created what i call a story bible which is where I keep really almost like a demographic sheet on each of my characters so that, you know, okay, this character has blue eyes, this character has brown. I mean, I just, their demographic sheet just has like a brown in their ballpark age, height, those kinds of things, just so that I can keep it consistent. I also put bullet points in there that include like major things that they've done. Now that gets really big with the main character, but with some of the side characters, um, it's helpful because it's like, oh yeah, they did this, that's important. Um, that way, you know, if I use that character again in a future novel, um, it's pretty clear, okay, I remember how this person's history ties into the character, the main character. So I find that very helpful. Like I said, it's just like a basic demographic sheet um, that I made up. It's not anything that I'm using from online, just made up uh, with just details. Like, I, you know, my, my character is a witch, and sometimes I like to track, like, what kinds of things has she done uh, as far as spells and things like that. Because, you know, not that I don't want to repeat, but if I've established she can do this thing, I need to be consistent that she can do it again as well. So that helps me as far as the continuity piece goes. What about you, Kim? I, I'm not as good, honestly. Uh, Philip gave me that advice um, 
a while ago, and it it, it hangs over me actually like something. I need to work on this uh, because I know I'm gonna I'm gonna trip up, and I already did trip up in a short story. I did a little series of uh, five short stories based on the universe from book one. And um, I already screwed up in one of the stories where the cat from book from the book, who's a, a mainish character, um, is a is a tabby cat, and I had forgotten that apparently in the short story because she's suddenly a calico, and it was something really small. And after it was all done, and it's out there, and I'm like, crap! <laughs> How did I miss that? That's so basic. <laughs> and it's like if I'm gonna do that on a cat, I need to really hunker down and build this document because it's going to become more important. So in Scribner, they actually have character tabs and you can kind of do a similar thing and keep it in Scribner. And I think you can even put in like pictures or visuals if you need that also. So that's a tool that is there. I'm just not using it as much as I should, but it's already tripped me up. So I'm going to have to really get diligent now and and finish it off. (laughs) continuity can be just such a challenge sometimes (laughs) like i said little details can get forgotten about i mean you know i don't i don't think about oh did i say what color their hair was in book one i don't want to comb through all of book one to see if i ever (laughs) said what color that person's hair is or you know some little detail like that it's hard it's really hard right exactly without wasting the time of rereading you know chapters of, or story your story you know again and again uh, exactly. have a, a question <laughs> yeah yes that, so, um, that's... I use Scrivener as well. you use... uh, so I use Scrivener as well um, so I so like you were saying Kim I've got those digital um, index cards and I've got the digital like a uh, character sheet and same thing um, moving from Google Docs which is what I started to write my first book in um, to using Scrivener exclusively now um, it's uh, it has so many great tools for writers that's really helpful and for me personally I prefer to type everything instead of having um, like notes on paper mm-hmm. um, and so it's a matter of just using it more <laughs> so I, I'm right there with you I'm using them but um, I've got to beef that up a little bit more for uh, book three and, and there's more books after that I do everything in Word documents. So that's just the medium I feel comfortable using. I haven't tried Scrivener because it's I, I do much better with uh, concrete things, and I think sometimes I look at online tools as being too abstract for me. But I, I honestly haven't tried it yet. I should give it a, a, a more serious look. Well, the nice thing is you can so, try I mean, it out. Uh, so I don't have Word. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, so I don't have Word, but there's so many great things that you can do with Word, especially interacting with other softwares that Scrivener doesn't do. So, um, or even for editing purposes, I have to um, turn my document back into a Word document for my editor to even um, make her corrections. So, Scrivener is great for, I think, for drafting, but for collaborations, for editing, um, it definitely has a few, a few drops. So I yes. think each each of those writing squares, you know, they all have their pluses and minuses. Yeah, I, I'm I'm such a creature of comfort. Once I get comfortable with something, <laughs> I have a really hard time pulling myself out of it and trying new things. So, guys, um, I'm just now looking at the time, and it's uh, 2:08. So oh, I know yes. it's my fault that my Skype was 
not working and no I thought it was and I know we didn't get started on time. Um, but I do, I will have to go in just another minute or two. Yeah, oh, no, that's absolutely fine. No, no problem. Worries. In fact, I was going to ask you before we let you go, what does the future hold for you? If you want to give us kind of where you're, where you're at with book three, where folks can find you online, um, give a, give a little plug so everybody can get out there and get your work. Oh, um, thank you so much. Um, so, um, let's see. So, uh, how do I say that? <laughs> um, so, uh, again, I, <laughs> my name is Azan Davis. I am a contemporary fantasy author. I have a website, um, azadavis.com, and that's where you'll find general information about my books, little snippets from reviews. Um, I usually like to give away the first chapter for free, um, so that way people can sample my stories. Um, and I love to write not just about my writing process and how um, that's developing, but also about my life as both a writer and a mom. Um, and then other than that, um, you can find me on Facebook as well. I have an author page, same thing as Law Davis, um, where I you know, share a lot of fun photos and short stories um, that just help people understand and appreciate me and my viewpoints a little bit more. Fantastic. Well, it's it's such a pleasure talking with you today and hearing about your process. And I've really enjoyed reading book one, and I can't wait to then jump into book two. Thank you. And um, so I don't have an exact date, but my plan is to have book three out uh, towards the end of this year. So year one, I wrote one book. Year two, I'm trying to publish two. And I think moving forward that that would be my pace. about two books a year maybe not in the same series but um that's the pace that professionally i hope to to maintain in the future fantastic that's that's really good i really all the luck in the world to you that's a great goal and i'm looking forward to to cracking the cover of book one it's on my reading list i think it's only one or two books away from where i'm at now so i'm really looking forward to it I, I completely hear you. Um, May has been it's my month to catch up um, on, on books that are on my to read list. So I've got about five books, <laughs> e-books um, that I'm planning through this month. And I've only been gotten through one so far, but um, starting next weekend when my schedule opens up, um, you know, and sometimes it's exciting as writers to just kind of press pause for a moment and just sit back and read what other people are doing, you know, like newly published books. Um, and just get that boost of like creativity and inspiration from just knowing what's out there. Absolutely. I think, I, I think that sometimes reading can be incredibly inspirational to our own work. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we will have our podcast out um, probably next weekend. So we'll be sure to tag you on your Facebook page so you can let your folks know. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. Yes, thank you very much, Azaf, for coming on. It was very—I really enjoyed our conversation today. Yes. This episode recorded at the Bigfoot headquarters. This has been a Swagamore production. Production.